0: Today's scripture comes from uh, Psalm 91, verses through 16. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrows that fly by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder. The young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Um, some of you guys, well, most of you guys know this. I, I ministered in a West Alabama town, Tuscaloosa, where the university is, and um, in church and also like in a, in student ministries. Like whenever they'd sing, "Oh, marvelous grace," there's that. Um, Look, there is flowing a crimson tide. I am not kidding around. I am not kidding around. There would be at least several people afterwards say, roll tide, like literally, literally, like we're singing it. So I was, it just meant a lot to my soul that I didn't hear roll tide. (laughs) So It really, it like hit me. Okay, I made a mistake with the slides. Whenever you see Psalm 96, it's supposed to be Psalm 91. If you went to Psalm 96, you're like, what is this guy reading? It's Psalm 91, made a mistake. Forgive me. Okay, um, this is really similar to coming off of Philippians because we were talking about joy and pain in Philippians. And um, the the kind of the question of Psalm 91 is, um, how do you have peace in difficulty? How do you have peace in difficulty? Uh, 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 I I mentioned this before, but um, if if you go to a coffee shop and invariably, especially if if it's a good local one, like diner-esque, there's always a table of old dudes. And um, uh, it, I, I guess grumpy old men kind of gets its fair title. But the older I get, the older they get and the older I get is um, whatever they lost in like social niceties, they totally make up for in straightforward honesty. Uh, like they just, it's, I think the true no spin zone is like a coffee shop full of old guys, like just straight, no chaser. Um, and, and the reason why is, um, and, and you can see the logic behind it, is that they haven't just seen a few deaths, they've actually seen a lot of dying. And it's not just their peers, they've actually seen below them premature deaths, and I put that in quotes. Um, they've seen relational fractures, again, not just like in their own family units, but their friends, um, um they've just seen, they've just seen it, they've seen, um, fortunes come and go, they've, they've, uh, among them you'll find somebody that had ruin or bankruptcy and then someone who hit it big, uh, They've seen massive shifts in, in a work culture or workforce culture. They've, they've seen shifts in culture, like, like what, what do we prize now? What's illegal now? Um, they've just, let, let, old guys have seen stuff. And uh, it, it, there's a little bit of cynicism there. And bitterness, it's like, oh, like, we know there's trouble. Um... I don't often quote Shakespeare, but when I do, I make sure it advances my argument. So here it is. Um, This is from Macbeth. Um, uh, It says, uh, each new morn, new widows howl. Um, New orphans cry. New sorrows strike heaven on the face that it resounds. Um, Each new morn, new widows howl. That's old guy wisdom right there. That's like, yeah, yeah, there's going to be, there's pain yesterday, there's, I'm going to see some pain today, and guess what, tomorrow, there's more pain, there's more trouble, there's more trouble. Um, Life is full of trouble. And so, when Psalm 91 enters, it talks to us about trouble, and then it talks to us about protection from trouble. And I'm sort of interested. Half old guy cynical but sort of interested. Hmm. Possibility to avoid trouble. That would be great. Um, so here's the shape of, of what we're, I'm going to go through. And it's going to be kind of quick, I think. But um, the first part is um, what Psalms 91 tells us that we really, really like, that it kind of resonates with us. And we're like, yeah, I wish that were true. Um, I like that, that it says that. And then we're going to talk about like, what Psalm 91 doesn't mean and then we're gonna talk about how Psalm 91 becomes powerful uh, to us. So um, I, 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 Psalm 91 actually has a lot of um, avian imagery, a lot of bird imagery. So um, if, you're into, if you're a birder or like, if you like Audubon prints, if you like bird metaphors in your poetry, you came for the songs, but stay for the birds. Here it is, um, verse, the first four verses in Psalm 91 Um, it it describes a a character trait about God, and it says this, um, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, right? He um, will abide in the shadow or the shade of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge, my fortress, see these words, um, um, he's gonna rescue or deliver you from the snare of the fowler, um, from deadly pestilence, disease. He will cover you with his uh, pinions. Those are flappers, that's what those are. Those are wings. Under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. So, so just really quickly, first four verses you get like, you get shelter, you get uh, uh, shade, you get safety, um, you get protection. And I, I think this is a very familiar image. If, if you are in an agrarian farmyard, barnyard society and or Silver Lake, this, this is a fam- familiar image little image. And it kind of looks like this. Cute little hen. (laughs) Whoa. That is a lot of chicks. Right? Mother hen can accommodate a surprisingly, and there's mother hen in the rain, all the chicks are underneath. There's, that's the image. That's the image of Psalm 91. So I, I want you to kind of lock that away. I'm a visual guy, so, so I needed the image for myself. Um, um, and, and But what I think that you'll find is increasingly interesting is in the Old Testament, um, the Old Testament is just filled with these bird images of um, God as mother hen. So, so let me, let me, I'm just going to blitz through this. Boaz says to Ruth, May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. That's a pretty picture. Psalm 136, a strong hand and an outstretched wing, the Lord gives us. His steadfast love endures forever. Uh, Psalm 57, be merciful to me, O God. Uh, uh, Be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shade, in the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge till the storms of destruction Pass by. Psalm 61. Let me, let me take refuge in the shadow, the shade of your wings. Okay? There's more. But what I'm, what I'm trying to tell you is that this is a consistent image in the Old Testament. Consistent image. Um, and and th- th- I, I do think it's interesting is that there's actually a lot of muscular, robust pictures and metaphors for, for God in the Old Testament. Like king. Like boss. Right? Um, Priest, uh, that mediator, um, uh, father, even. But but why why does why does he give us a picture of a mama bird? And why is it insistent? I think it's this. I think it is insistent is because God wants us to know and really believe that He is not far away. That He is very tender. And he is taking specific care. I, I think that's why. Is, yes, the king and the father should. And we've all had fathers. Um, we, we all have, haven't had the best of fathers. And so we be, can begin to think, oh, God is like that. And yet this is insistent in saying, yeah, that may be true. But God is, there's something truer about God that is more tender, more caring, um, more protective. And so um, in Psalm 91... Um, it says something like this. Um, It says something that we like. We're like, oh, that's really sweet. I really like that picture of the mama hen. And like, I really, that's really sweet. But but Psalm 91 does something that it turns up the amp on this idea to an uncomfortable, like kind of weird volume level. Uh, The middle part of Psalm 91 kind of jumps the shark, like, in our favor, like, almost wild positivity. And it it says this, if you trust God, and you can look at this now, if you trust God, you will not experience violence. You won't. No arrows, no bodily harm. There's going to be, like, thousands are going to drop on your side like flies, but guess what? You'll be okay, and you're just going to be watching the judgment of all the bad guys. Then it says this, if you trust God, there's gonna be no disease. It says that, no pestilence. If you trust God, there will be no disease, no pestilence. See, see this weird volume? You're like, okay, that's, that doesn't jive with my reality, but it sounds good. It, it gets more, though. Then it just shoots for it all. It's just like, verse 12, on their hands they will bear you up, talking about angels now. Um, the angels are gonna bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. So it's saying this, if you trust God, you won't even stub your toe. You won't even stub your toe. Like you will not, your foot shall not meet a midnight Lego. Like that's what it's saying. If you trust God, that even won't happen. Do you, do you see like the volume of this positivity? You're like, hmm, now, 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 now this, is what, this is what it's saying. It's saying, if you trust God, nothing bad will happen to you. That's what Psalm 91, from just on the surface, is telling us. So the opposite has got to be true. If things are going bad for you, you're probably not trusting God. Hmm. Now, let me, let me tell you this. Why do I want Psalm 90, 91 to say this to me? I don't know if you do, but I kind of want Psalm 91 to say this to me because it says like, hey, Tim, if you do the program, if you trust God and, and you um, um, do the program and you follow him and you serve him and, and you, you obey, um, he owes you good times, Tim. He owes you good times. It says it right there in Psalm 91. I'm going to claim it. All right, that's what I want it to say very badly. I want it to say that. I don't think it says that, but I want it to say that. So what does Psalm 91 not mean? Because that's kind of weird. You're like, that doesn't jive with my reality, but okay. What does Psalm 91 not mean? Let me give you just a few reasons um, that... My initial reading, like, look, if you just trust God, no bad things will happen to you. Let me, let me show you why it's wrong. Um, number one, we want, it super, we want it super badly to be this way. I want my trust of God to result in fair weather, no cancer, fat blessing, no injury, career success, relational bliss, like this Midas touch mentality, like, Tim, whatever you get involved in, it's going to go bonkers. I kind of, already, I want it to say that. And so, let's be fair and say, if I really, really want it to say that, let's say this, is I've kind of lost neutrality and objectivity when I'm trying to interpret God's word because I want it to say that. I only want God's word to fit my desires. I don't wanna be shaped by God's word. So, so that's one bad reason why this, that's probably not a good interpretation of Psalm 91. All right, two, other scriptures don't read Psalm 91 and are not consistent with Psalm 91 read that way. What do I mean by that? Um, uh, I mean, there are tons of examples here, but Job, right? Job meets harm, disaster, tragedy, the whole, the whole burrito. Um, um, and, and then this is interesting, is one of Job's friends reads Psalm 91 the way that I want it read. And he reads it and he says, look, if you trust God, Job, he wouldn't have messed with you. Job, you, you dirty little secret rat, what have you done behind the scenes? That's what Job's friend says. Um, And then God speaks to Job's friends. And he says, you haven't spoken the truth about me to Job. So we know from other scriptures, oh, yeah, Psalm 91 can't mean that. Third reason, I think you're going to like this one. I like this one the most actually Satan approves of my bad interpretation. He approves of it. Let me show you. Um, uh, Satan actually uh, quotes scripture in only one place. Only one place. Um, Satan memorized Psalm 91. Like word for word, nails the memory portion. One place he quotes Psalm 91, it's in Luke four. Satan is tempting Jesus in the wilderness And um, what he's trying to do is saying, um, he's trying to get, he's trying to jack up Jesus's plan of redemption. He's trying to do this. Um, uh, He's trying to to tell Jesus, like, look, you don't have to go through pain, trouble, and suffering to get where you want to go. You can be king without a cross. And do you know what he says? He says, look, um, to Jesus, he says, did you know that he will command his angels concerning you? To guard all of your ways. On their hands they will bear you up lest you stub your foot. This is what he's telling Jesus. He said, this is the promise of the Father to you. You won't even stub your foot. Um, And if God lets you suffer, then maybe God blew it. Um, So, Satan is pretty diabolical with what he hits with. Um, and so if we interpret Psalm 91 in this way, do you know what it's gonna do? It's just to eventually get us to think that God hates us. Eventually. Like we're just not gonna be a grumpy dude in a coffee shop. We're gonna be bitter and angry and think God is useless or worse, mean. You'll just eventually get mad at God. Um, Satan wants us to take that superficial reading of Psalm 91 because um, to read it that way, we'll miss this incredible truth of Psalm 91. Okay. Uh, So how does Psalm 91 become powerful to us? Um, We've we've heard this. If you've been in the church, you've heard this. If you haven't been in the church, it might be new, is that um, when we read Romans 8, uh, there's this section that says, all things work together for good for those who love him. All things work together for good. So what that means is, and what it means for you and for me, is it means is my bad decisions are not strong enough to change God's story for me towards wholeness in his plan. Um, I, I felt that strongly, just like in, in many times, like just, well, no, let me give you a real world example. Um, in our church plant, um, when we started, I, I was thinking about all of these moves we had to make. And there were all of these things that I said to you all and to people, I said, yeah, we're not gonna do that now, that's a later chapter. It's a decision, right? Like I'm the leader and you're like, hey, we're gonna follow this. And in retrospect, I'm like, Tim, you were an idiot. Like why didn't you start that thing then? And I can feel all this shame and it's like, is th- will that be the thing that jacks up our community? Uh, but think of, the, think of the massive amount of pride I have to have. Hey, Tim, you are so powerful, your bad decisions can jack up God's plan for your life and our community's life. How crazy is that? This is what Romans 8 is telling us, is that I am not strong enough, even in my bad, bad decisions, known and unknown, to mess up God's good that's gonna come out of it. Um... There are a lot of, okay, um, a lot of biblical stories. Abraham, um, his decision-making process with Hagar does not mess up the covenant love of God. It can't. And you're like, whoa, that was bad. Um, his lie doesn't mess up the co- the, what's going to happen through Abraham. Moses cannot mess up the plan of God in his life. And you know the all-time great one is Joseph. Like, all of these, because, because we can have personal sin, but then there's injustice pressed upon us, like people keeping us down at work, people keeping us down and abusing us and doing do whatever we can. And Joseph is a classic example. It's like, whatever injustice is pressed upon you, guess what? That still cannot mess up the, God, the plan that God has for your life. It just can't mess it up. You, uh, other people are not strong enough, and you are not strong enough to mess up God's plan for your life. Um... So that's what's going on as far as like, okay, every bad thing that happens in your life and mine will, will, will bring about something better. Now, that's not because um, bad things are actually good. No, bad things are still bad. It's that they can't touch or stop or thwart God's work and plan and story. It's, it, they can't. All evil, all intentions of evil will always result in something better in Jesus' plan. So it means this the end is fullness, the end will not have a stub toe. The end is fullness, the end will not have a stub toe. Um, Jesus gets at this in uh, Luke 21, and he's talking to his disciples. And I love how candid he is. He's just like, yeah, um, many, many bad things are going to happen to you guys. Um, some of you are going to be turned on by friends, family. Um, you're going to be betrayed. Um, some of you are going to die. Some of you are going to be hated. Um, and then he says this, and I think it's, this is in Luke 21, um, and I think you find 16 through 18 if you want to nail it down. Not, of your, not a hair of your head will perish, he says. Uh, and then the phrase is, and in patience you will possess your souls. All right, did you get that? I'm, I'm going to say it again because I think it's, it's a, it's, there's just sheer gold there. Um, um, not a hair of your head will perish and in patience you will possess your own souls so what is he saying there he's saying this if you rest and trust in me you will become your truest self that isn't run by something else and owned by something else um, um, you literally become self-possessed in the truest way with your trust in him um, you're not run by the things you fear. So if you think um, if you think your career is going to bring you security, or if you think um, 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 eating healthy and working out in your health will give you longevity, if you think um, the relationship in, that you're in is the thing that's going to give you all, everything you've ever desired, um, well, what happens is your soul becomes owned by that thing. And when that goes down, your soul goes down. So, so Jesus is saying this. Um, those things will not be able to captize you, and you will own your own soul in patience. Through the trouble, through the trial, through patience, you will find the truest part of yourself is going to survive. It won't have a stub toe. Um, I, now I think we're getting somewhere when we're talking about Psalm 91 with the rest of Scripture. Um, but, but I do think there's a question, is how do we get the power to trust and rest in God so that it will give us a power in, in trouble? Um, and, I th- and I think the last three verses of Psalm 91 give us a clue. Um, 14, 15, and 16. Uh, and because it, it shifts, it changes. It says, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him Interesting, first time we've heard of this him character. In Hebrew, it's not a general person like it's talking about. It's talking about a certain person of him. And then he says, I will protect him, this mystery person, because he knows my name. When he, that same mystery person, when he calls me, I will answer him, I will be with him. These last three verses have this mystery him that's not attached to the rest of the Psalm. And you're like, wait, what? that was a narrative switch on me. I don't know what happened. And it's a little hard to see in the English, but Um, it shows up in the Hebrew. So all of a sudden there's this shift in this mystery person and in verse 15 it says this, I will be with him in trouble. It's not talking about you. He's not saying I will be with you in your trouble. He's saying I will be with him, this mystery person in trouble. And this is strange is because this is where Psalm 91 is actually forward-looking. Like, I will do this thing with this mystery person. It's it's kinda strange. It is strange unless we know what develops is the story of Jesus in the cross. Um, How so? He says, I'm gonna be with him in trouble. Now, no one knows this unless you understand Jesus, so, I, th- I think only Christianity has this, it has a God who doesn't exempt himself from suffering. Like if I were to be God, I would be like, um, cool, I get a pass, I'm perfect, I don't suffer. That would be like, you know, one of my first initiatives. Tim doesn't suffer, as God. Can we all, can we all agree to that? As God, I don't suffer. <laughs> um, and, and this is what's interesting is, it, as an invincible God, only Christianity has this, he says, okay, I'm gonna actually become weak. Um, uh, as an impervious God, I'm gonna become vulnerable. Um, as an immortal God, I'm gonna become killable. As a, um, a tireless God, I'm gonna be subject to days and nights and oxygen and food. Um, as uh, an immune God, I'm gonna be subject to weird feet fungus and, and, and disease and flus. Um, as, a, as a God unaccountable to man, I will be judged by man. So you have this God that is unique, um, unique, he becomes human um, to do this and the first thing uh, that happens when this God becomes human is, uh, you know this, he knows your trouble. You know this, he knows your trouble. now. I don't think that it's just that he's relatable, like um, hashtag same, hashtag relatable, like hey, you're, I hear you're going through hard times, like I so get it, hashtag same, I get it. Um, I don't think it's that, because I don't really think that has any power by itself. It has tenderness, it has understanding, but, and it's empathy, and it's a good start, but I don't think that's really what's going on here, but it's a good start. He knows your trouble. He knows my trouble, all right. This is what's going on here, especially in Psalm 91. Who does it describe that can go scot free suffering suffering-free, pain-free, trouble-free, stub-toe-free, no midnight Legos? Who does it describe who gets off with zero pain? Well, the one who trusts. This is where it starts to get good. Who is the only person who has trusted perfectly? Who actually has done this? It's, it's Jesus. Well, Jesus has trusted perfectly. All right, so this is what I want you to get, is um, Psalm 91's promise can only be claimed by one person, Jesus. Jesus. He had every right to cash in that ticket. Um, uh, excuse me, I, I have the ticket. Like, I, I, I trusted perfectly. So um, where, do I, where do I get my pain-free existence? He's the only one. Uh, but he doesn't claim it. He doesn't cash it in. And so the picture isn't just like, hey, he knows your trouble and he totally can relate to you. The picture here is substitutionary atonement. Substitution, let me show you. This is the picture of Psalm 91. So the mother hen is drawing up all of those chicks that you remember, right? How does she substitute herself, right? Um, Well, she gets wet the rain hits her instead of hitting the chicks, and they stay dry. She gets hot, the, the sun hits her, the, the, the gamma rays hit her, and, and, and they don't hit the chicks, and they stay cool. It's a substitute, I'm gonna substitute myself, I'm gonna be over, I'm gonna substitute where, where you probably are. Um, I'm gonna get devoured so you don't get eaten. Like that's that's the picture of substitution, but there's there's more than that. Um, when Psalm um, when Psalm ninety one is looking forward to the story of Jesus, um, th- th- there's there's uh, there's one place where Jesus picks up on this picture, and you might remember this from um, uh, Matthew twenty six, Luke thirteen. So Jesus is riding into Jerusalem, and and um, he th- it, it, do you remember him talking about the judgment? It's in the context of judgment. There, this generation has just been a vile generation. And, and there's going to be great judgment. And Jesus is riding into Jerusalem, and he says this. I wanted to gather you under my wing. What's he saying in the context of judgment? I wanted to take the judgment for you. It's the only time he references that wing picture, that mother hen picture, and I think it's incredible. So this is actually the avian, if you're into, um, if you're into Audubon pictures and you're a birder, this is actually a great picture of substitution right here. That, that's, substitutionary of mama hen. Um, The fire and the wrath and the heat of judgment just roasts the chicken. You're like, wow, that's not as cute as the original video that you showed us. That's just not as cute. Um, Do you remember this, uh, there's another portion of the gospel, and it's kind of a strange one, it's in John, and um, um, uh, uh, he's talking to his, it's not just his immediate disciples, but he's talking to a a big group of people that the text also calls followers or disciples, and he says that, he goes, "Um, unless you eat of my body and drink of my blood, you have no part, and and everyone was like, okay, that's kind of weird, I'm going to leave now. And they like bail. And that's when his disciples, and he goes, are you gonna bail on me? And he goes, well, we have no place to go. What's Jesus getting at there? And unless you understand Passover, you won't get this. This is what he's getting at there. He's saying, look, in Passover, um, you had this lamby, Lammy is this pristine, beautiful lamb and you kept it as a family pet. You didn't even keep it in the, in, in the uh, fields. No, you just were so great to it. You pampered Lammy, it was just awesome. And then Passover comes and you kill Lammy and you roast Lammy and you eat Lammy and you're like, this is horrifying. Is this Judaism? Yes. Yeah, that's what he's saying is like, I'm gonna be roasted and you're gonna eat of me and it's gonna taste great and you're gonna be okay. Like, unless you eat of the Passover lamb, you're not going to be covered. Uh, that, that's, I think this is a great picture of this. Um, this is what roasted hen looks like. Um, if, you guys, if you guys need a date idea, it's a little morbid. You should go to Forest Lawn in Glendale. Um, they've got the Hall of the Crucifixion there. It's like this, uh, this uh, it houses, it, at one time, it was the world's largest canvas painting. And it's the crucifixion by, uh, is it John, Jan or Jan? Jan Sticke, the Polish guy. Um, and it's this huge, huge painting. And it's great. And they show it. I, that's the picture of roasted hen. That's the picture of substitution. Oh, that is going to rain down on Jesus. Now, th- why is that important? Is because this is what we're going to do. Is we're going to take our overtrust and all those other little hens and we're going to place our trust in the one that substitutes for us and just takes it all. Those other hands will not die for you. Uh, Jesus is the only hand, and I mean that metaphorically, that will die for you. And in trouble and in pain, you can wait. What? You can have patience. You can have patience. Because he's bringing you to a place where what? you will possess your own souls. You won't be owned by those other hands. Let's pray into that. Jesus, uh, uh, Psalm 91 is good for our hearts because um, we see, like, first of all, we see our, um, our, our facile understandings of um, how we think we're kind of good and we're owed trouble-free life. But then we understand, Jesus, 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 oh, you're the only one that can claim that. And instead of claiming it, you're gonna be roasted for us. Um, Would we believe that in our trouble? Because we're in trouble, both um, tiny troubles, but things that feel like the weight of days. Would you allow our hearts uh, to trust in you in those wings that um, are protecting us and have been fried for that very protection. Jesus, give us that patience in trouble. Amen.